Welcome to the New Money Review podcast. I'm Paul Amory, the editor of New Money Review. My guest on this episode is Chris Thomas, an entrepreneur in the rapidly developing world of cryptocurrencies, crypto assets and blockchain. Chris has a background in traditional finance. He used to be a derivatives trader at several major banks during the 2000s. More recently, he headed up the innovation unit in Europe at Fidelity, a large asset manager. It can be very difficult to separate the hype from the reality when it comes to digital assets, Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies, blockchain and so on. So I've invited Chris to share his thoughts on how quickly the financial system is being transformed by these new technologies and whether there are any particular projects we should be paying attention to as the area develops. Chris, welcome to the New Money Review podcast. Please tell listeners a bit about your background and how you've got into the cryptocurrency and blockchain space. Pleasure being here, Paul. Thank you for the invite. First of all, I came through the the investment banking, sales and trading um, area a long time ago. I was involved in fixed income and FX markets. I then left them around 10 years ago to move into entrepreneurship, uh, focusing on building some e-commerce platforms quite successfully and uh, also some business development, some strategy for other people. Uh, But I felt I needed a a slightly different uh, change of course again and I went to the US to the number one business school in the world for entrepreneurship, Babson College. Out of that I did a couple of internships as a peer-to-peer lender and with one of the UK banks and the innovation team and from that I then ended up running the European Innovation at Fidelity Investments. Um, That got me really excited about what was happening, obviously not just in the fintech, but in the the blockchain space as well, Um, more so on the crypto markets, given my financial background, uh, the sales and trading background. Um, So I I really got involved in in the crypto markets. Let me me ask you about that, Chris, because uh, it's always interested me, uh, the contrast between... uh, the traditional financial system, and you worked in the heart of it at, at an investment bank dealing in uh, foreign exchange and interest rate uh, derivatives and the crypto markets where you know, it's one, you know, you're in, in one uh, market, you're you know, competing over maybe a basis point in, in, in profit over particular trades, whereas in crypto, uh, it's been the kind of the wild west, at least at the uh, outset of the market with price quotations varying wildly from one exchange to the next. You know, how, to, how do you compare and contrast the two markets? Yes, yeah, so it's interesting. I joined the investment banking scene in the very early 2000s. So I just missed out on the, the excitement and the aggression of the, the trading floors, the sh- shouting at each other across the pit. And I think that was probably how you could even describe the, the crypto markets just now. There's lots of small arbitrage opportunities. Well, they're not really arbitrage as how we would define them, but there's opportunities to make money in a very small way, as the locals were able to do so 20 years ago, um, that are too small, frankly, for institutions. Um, But then automation came in, and these locals could not adapt, and the banks were able to start trading in larger size off the band. In, my, in the earlier part of my career, we were able to trade options, volatility straddles uh, manually, as in look at the futures price, look at the, po- uh, the put and the call prices and work out what the volatility was going to do and buy and sell the volatility around, your, um, around your, uh, where you saw value. Now, 
that is has all been arbitrary. Um, that has all been taken away f- from um, the markets through um, algorithmic trading. Uh, so there's no opportunities for the human anymore, so to speak. And that's how we will see the crypto markets over the next few years as they evolve. So just now, they're too small for the investment banks. They're absolutely opportunistic for locals or smaller individuals who have the technology to be able to arbitrage between exchanges, as well as some of the smaller hedge funds who are actually in this market and making money. But it's the space is frankly still too small for larger institutions, right. although they are you, looking you, at um, it. You worked uh, for a while at Fidelity in, in Europe, looking at their um, innovation ecosystem, and uh, I understand that included blockchain. Fidelity is one of the few um, asset managers or large financial institutions that has, uh, you know, publicly committed itself to uh, involvement in cryptocurrencies, crypto assets, and uh, and has been, you know, is regarded as one of the leaders in that area. Um, what? Did you see from your role there, you know, what prompted that firm to get involved? And, uh, and and do you think they're a trendsetter for other institutions in this area? Absolutely, yes. So what prompted them to get involved is quite simple. The rising revenues in the bull market were being outpaced by the rising costs. That's not just them. I would say that's um, a, a trend across the, the industry as a whole. And so... If you t- turn it turn that into a, a bear market scenario, which will you know, ultimately happen, whether that's in the next year or two, or perhaps beyond that, there's going to be a big issue for a lot of the asset managers. So Fidelity have had their Fidelity Labs set up for over 15 years now, and they're always looking at innovation and how to adapt because, frankly, the whole financial services industry has got deep legacy IT challenges. Uh, some of these uh, platforms go so that are caught down in the foundation of the whole IT system might even be 20, 25 or 30 years old. And you can't just strip them out because other platforms on top of them are relying on them. So that's a really big challenge for all of these companies. So in terms of Fidelity's case, um, they're really proactive and very positive about innovation. And that comes top down which is very important because you don't see that in many other financial services companies. Why? Because they don't really want to take the risk because they're not paid for risk. Uh, These managers or leaders often would rather sit and not take any risk and keep their job knowing that in one or two years' time, they'll probably not be in that job anyway. Fidelity's approach was a lot different. Um, As I say, they've had the labs for over 15 years now and they're they're developing lots of different structures, not just in the blockchain, but in other areas as well, uh, to really try to solve these problems and move forward. And as I say, it comes from top down. Abby, Abby Johnson, the CEO and um, one of the you know largest shareholders within Fidelity, genuinely believes in innovation and blockchain, as did her father, um, who was a previous CEO. And it it all comes down from there into the leadership structure and down, which is, as I say, is very proactive and positive, and you don't see that in every financial right. services. But company. Chris, uh, you know, you mentioned some of the problems with legacy uh, IT systems, uh, many many layers of uh, systems built on top of one another, and it's, therefore it's difficult to have a wholesale restructuring because people worry that things might might break. 
So how do we get from um, these legacy problems to, you know, what on the face of it at least seems like a, 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 if we look at blockchain or distributed ledger technologies, seems like a safer and more uh, resilient way of, of managing uh, data, financial data? Yeah, good question. I guess if I knew the answer to that, I would be quite rich because I think all of the financial services firms are trying to solve the same problem. It's not just as easy as switching off legacy systems and starting to use distributed systems or you know uh, permissioned blockchains to to start managing your your assets, uh, whether they be client data or whether they be actual. Um, monetary assets like we we, we know um so yeah. so what do we so what does that mean we're likely to see that because we met uh, at a decentralized finance conference in london a, f- a few weeks ago uh you know and there were a lot of grassroots uh, and startup projects uh, uh presenting at that uh, two-day event I, I mean are we just likely to see the two systems running in parallel for a while maybe even several years uh and 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 really not uh, that much overlap between the two or are we going to see some kind of convergence? I, I, I think the, the decentralized finance space is still relatively early. There's The reality of it is that the there's, there's only a few kind of coins and lending platforms out there that can be used. And yes, they do seem to be working fairly well, but they're not absolutely perfect yet. And the, the track records are not long enough for, and the market size is not, big enough for any uh, institutions uh, to come in on on top of. So these are absolutely going to run in parallel for the time being. Uh, Perhaps the space will be different in two years' time, but we have to first solve the the foundationary elements to allow these institutions to come into So let's talk about custody a little bit, because that's an area I know you've you've worked on. Um, How, um, what have been the biggest challenges for uh, financial institutions looking at custody in particular. I mean, what you know, we, they're used to working with uh, a financial system of you know, with various centralized entities like securities depositories, clearing houses that uh, that handle all securities trades, and and here we are talking about a, a system with no central control. How how big a conceptual leap is that for the institutions, and how can they deal with it? Absolutely. So, I mean, it's, it's a similar challenge to legacy systems. The, they can start deploying money, um, fiat, and changing that fiat into crypto assets. And I don't just mean cryptocurrencies, crypto assets as a whole, um, cryptographic assets, um, as over the next couple of years. But really, they need to then trust the foundationary layers of the whole system before they can start doing that. So the, found, the key foundational layer is the custody platforms. Uh, to do so, they have to be comfortable with the, the setups of these custody platforms. Traditionally, the, over the last three, four, five years, you've seen the early custody platforms come out with hot and cold solutions. So what does that mean? Hot wallets are always online. They're the so-called easiest to hack and that those wallets are generally hacked on the exchanges. Uh, and then you've got the cold storage wallets that are offline 100% of the time, except when they need to make a transfer in or out. Um, these, cold, these cold storage wallets um, are an easier concept to understand 
for the banks and and asset managers so they're more comfortable with that and then you've got the warm wallet set up which is through using hsms so these um, hardware security modules have been used in banks for the last 20 or 30 years so that part of the technology is not new to them they use those generally to store the most confidential um, of data uh, whether that is um, some sort of client data or whether that is pin numbers in the atm scenario and these can be used to store the cryptocurrency or crypto asset private keys as well however they need to be the the hsms need to be modified slightly to be able to um, accept that coding and now you're seeing some new style hsms coming onto the market to do so so you've got hot warm and cold type um storage wallets um there's more the the warm storage has been starting to pick up speed over the last couple of years uh, we've seen a big Silicon Valley outfit backed by some of the top um, Silicon Valley VCs come into the market and raise uh, most recently a valuation of a quarter of a billion dollars. You've seen a few come in in Europe, um, not at those valuations yet, but I think one or two of them might get there very quickly, uh, perhaps in, even in the next uh, three to four months. And you've seen the hot, cold versions, the traditional ones, who are already quite substantial, likes of BitGo. And even if you look at the traditional setup of Coinbase, minus its exchange um, setup, uh, Coinbase is currently about $8 billion, although a large part of that has got to be attributed to their exchange functionality. Okay, so there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of fundraising, a lot of innovation going on in this area, and uh, some, some firms seem well-positioned to offer a solution to, to investors and uh, other intermediaries on the market? Absolutely. It's, it's getting to that stage. Um, some of them are handling VC money at the moment. Uh, for example, Coinbase has about eight, perhaps even $10 billion of um, AUM, of which certainly is 2.3 or 2.8 Billion comes from one of the largest crypto VCs uh, called um, Grayscale Capital. So you've got to assume on that basis, there's probably about $25 billion of institutional money in the markets at the moment. But that's actually tiny relative to the financial markets. Because if you think 25 billion, but wait a minute, even Fidelity has $2 trillion assets under management with obviously Vanguard, BlackRock, et cetera, yeah. quite similar to that. So $25 billion is actually a very small number. Um, but if you look, if you think about two or three years out, the if you take 1% of assets under management by asset managers alone, so we're not thinking about banks or anything, just asset managers, they've got about $80 trillion of assets under management. So 1% is $800 billion. So that would make the institutional assets under management in the crypto markets around 30 times bigger than what they are today. And that's only 1%. Let me ask you about asset managers more broadly. Uh, we, we've seen a number of <clears throat> banks uh, over the last few years make uh, public commitments to uh, investments in distributed ledger platforms, uh, permissioned uh, blockchains. Uh, uh, we've seen, apart with, with one or two exceptions like Fidelity, we've not seen 
you know, huge commitment uh, from asset managers to to the sector. How well prepared are asset managers for this new technology uh, as opposed to banks? Uh, you're spot on. We've not seen too many except Fidelity coming in. Some of the larger ones will absolutely be running projects, whether they be you know, official POCs uh, with or without startups, um, whether they be uh, basic research. Uh, I'm sure most of the big ones are doing some things and they are thinking about the strategy, perhaps for 2020 or maybe even to reassess in six or eight months' time. But frankly, asset managers are in general behind the curve relative to the banks who, you know, like three and a half years ago, the banks were investing in our three corridor um, network. So they were already doing that. They were already testing on the Ethereum network as well. So they've been so in let's just break while. let's just try and understand as, why that is uh apologies if this seems obvious i mean the um i mean if we think about some of the tokenization projects that the banks have been talking about over recent months jp morgan has done it there have been similar initiatives with goldman sachs being talked about so the the benefit for a bank of doing this is that presumably that it can cut some of its internal capital requirements if it, if it can uh if it can achieve settlement uh, more quickly on an internal ledger. Is that right? Yep, that's the case. And likewise, fairly similar for the asset managers. I, there's certainly lots of opportunities to cut costs in the middle and back office, especially through the, the, um, the post-trade processes. So uh, they are just right. late, though. But if, if, if some of the... Um, Discussions we heard at the decentralized finance conference in London suggested that you know, the tokenization trend could go so far that you know you could basically tokenize uh, everything, and you could you could put not just a record of share ownership, but using smart contracts, put things like uh, dividends, uh, future share issuance, uh, some kind of other uh, smart contracts onto a single token that would represent for any any uh, token holder kind of a, a variety of rights with respect to a, a particular company or, or project. You know, that, that would fundamentally restructure the whole of the, the existing um, uh, asset ownership system. So I'm just wondering how, you know, how realistic it is for that. Uh, I wonder what your thoughts are about those types of uh, forecasts. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's where I think the industry will be going over the next 10, maybe even 15 years. It's, far too early for that to happen just now because even smart contracts although it's you know it's great in principle but the actual doing doing of the smart contracts what happens if there's a problem in the coding what jurisdictions do you use for the smart contracts there's all of these sort of things to you know what happens if um well there's there's several challenges perhaps you know around the legalities the, if the blockchains fail or whatever might happen there. So we've still to overcome lots of these, but yes, 10, 15 years time, all of these aspects will be on the blockchain. And so what does that mean? That then means that we could look at the whole financial markets from today and all the bonds. There's been a few bond issuance um, examples done over the last uh, year or so. I think Santander did one for 100 million 
um, Navarra were involved with that. I'd like yeah, to ask so you about the other things that investment banks uh, typically uh, do with their trading arms. They 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 finance uh, trades for hedge funds. They provide collateral. They're involved in the repo market, the securities lending market. Uh, what impact uh, will uh, blockchain and distributed ledger technology have in these areas? Yeah, well, certainly more from the crypto aspect. Uh, there's the that's a lot of that comes under crime brokerage, as we, as we know it inside the banks. And I believe that perhaps in two years' time, the prime brokerage market will have lots of crypto offerings. We're already seeing you can, if you own bitcoins, you can then lend them out and get six, seven, eight percent interest. And that's quite an interesting thing. If you want to just hold it for one, two, three years' time, you may as well take that interest, and that's compounding interest. So that's actually quite a nice addition on top of your actual um, holding of your principal holding. So that is already happening. You've also got um, staking coins so, such as the, the Maker DAO coin um, and Cosmos and Tezos blockchains are also offering things like that. So the, the prime brokerage market is there. It's in its infancy, but there's lots of opportunities to replicate the traditional financing, financial markets um, moving forward. As I say, it's probably a couple of years right, out. So, so. The, we're talking about using um, cryptocurrency or crypto asset collateral as, uh, as collateral for a, a secured loan. Exactly, yes. At the moment, they're over collateralizing to about 140 to 150%. Um, but you would like to think that will be, shall we say, normalized. Right, and compared to the traditional markets where you might over-collateralize by a few percent in a, in a, in a bond or maybe a bit, more, a bit more in an equity. Quite possibly, yeah. Exactly, and, and the interest yeah. rates on these uh, secured loans, how do they compare? You mentioned eight, eight, you could earn 8% on your Bitcoin if you stake it. But yeah. Absolutely. yeah, absolutely. So I did see one company offers about 12 or 13% on Bitcoin. I don't know too much about them, but in general, six, seven, eight percent with pretty well structured um, Bitcoin lending companies such as Bitbond, BlockFi, Compound. These companies, uh, they're you know they're all backed by good VCs. They've been in the market a long time, and they're trustworthy companies. So yeah, absolutely. And then you look at the likes of the Cosmos uh, coin token which is around 12, 13%, and the Tezos one, which is around 7%. So there's there's obviously pros and cons to, to using all of these, which you've got to dig in deep to understand before making the, the investment or understanding the opportunity. Right, but how, how can we detail. compare more broadly this uh, crypto asset uh, lending market with the traditional uh, securities loan market? I understand that in the traditional repo and securities lending market is quite normal to have one type of collateral at one point in the day you can substitute something else later i mean as long as it's secured then people don't seem to uh, worry too much is that something you can also do in cryptocurrency or is that uh, is it maybe more the, 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 are the assets more locked down given the the nature of the instrument in yeah in general it's locked down remember we're very very early stages at the moment it's very vanilla 
um, the way they're structuring these. However, six, 12 months time, perhaps that will come in or perhaps there's the opportunity to structure something like that and take some you know, ex extra edge out of yeah. some, some of the Some people trade. I've uh, sp uh, heard or uh, spoken to in the past are worried that if you start introducing these layers of, of lending or leverage on top of uh, crypto assets, it's going to introduce similar risks to those seen in the traditional financial system where um, you know, collateral can be repledged to different uh, users. You can create layers of uh, collateral lending. What do you think about that argument? Yeah, I've yeah, I I've seen something similar. It could very easily uh, go that way over the next couple of years, where you suddenly have um, non-investment grade quality quality crypto tokens somehow sneaking into higher quality uh, peggings, and then and thus uh, being sort of missold or misused or misunderstood. And and hence the yeah that could cause a very big risk. What um you know what other key differences in in market structure can you see between uh, cryptocurrency crypto assets and the legacy financial system? Any, any does anything really stand out uh, from what you've seen? Well, I think the probably the biggest thing is around the the regulatory aspects where regulators are still probably not. 100% certain of where they're going or where the space is going. There's there's two sides to that. The fact is the market is still tiny relative to their big financial markets and they've got a lot of big challenges to deal with every single day. But this space is growing and they have to be protecting primarily the, the, retail, um, the retail client, but also making sure that there's there's no nefarious behaviors or actors bad actors that um that might be able to take, be too, too opportunistic as, uh, before the market gets to the maturity stage okay and and let's uh, let me ask you about uh, facebook's libra coin uh, initiative it, it seems to in terms of facebook at least it seems to mark a departure from you know, what they've done in the past, they didn't really ask for permission to uh, launch their social media uh, platform. They just went ahead and did it and you know, did kind of various things with users' data that perhaps people weren't aware of. But when it comes to their you know, proposed payment coin, Libra, they've, they've clearly gone out and asked permission before uh, introducing it and have, have met some fairly uh, negative reactions. I'm just wondering how you see this whole debate uh, evolving. Yeah, it's quite interesting over the last couple of months since they, they launched it, um, the or since they they launched the white released the white paper, there clearly the the larger jurisdictions don't like it and are fighting hard. I think France and Germany came out this week and uh, refused to acknowledge or allow its use. The longer term, I th I think products like this are fantastic for Asia and the the emerging markets. Why? because it can massively disrupt the likes of Western Union. And if Facebook take 1% or 2% commission on sending pesos back to the Philippines or something similar to that, that's significantly better than paying the 10 or 12 or more percent that a Filipino would have to pay through Western Union. So from that use case, I think it's fantastic. The, the worry is that, yes, 
it's another way for them to collect lots of data and to really position themselves as the global superpower because this does then give them access to to banking uh, or ba banking type technologies um, without actually having a sort of official banking licenses, certainly in the US or anywhere. Um, so there's, the, there's, there's pros and cons. There's the, the AMLKYC. Yes, they can do quite in, innovative things with that by understanding everyone's Facebook posts previously to understand, is this genuinely the person? What are their behaviors like? Do they seem like a, a real person off the back of those behaviors, given they probably will have several thousand data points within each person's Facebook post? Um, it allows the unbanked into some sort of banking environment. Uh, as I say, the payments, the emerging market payments, fantastic. Um, yeah, but then there's the other side is that the, the privacy aspects and the fact they're collecting data that we still don't fully know about. And actually, the quality of their white paper isn't that high. It's very surprising given the fact that Facebook's such a huge company that they haven't written it to a more detailed spec and they haven't um, bothered you know, re rewriting it a lot to make it really. I guess interesting they, they, it was so widely leaked. The, uh, the 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 you know the the, 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 the report of their coin was so widely leaked that uh, they had to bring something out. I suppose. Perhaps yes. Perhaps I mean certainly I, I do remember six to eight weeks before that the the rumors were coming out that Facebook were launching a coin. The 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 interesting thing someone made to me oh, six to eight weeks ago as well was that. Is Facebook using this as a deflection? Are they actually looking to do something else in the cryptosphere? And they are just using this to test the water, test the reactions of not only central banks, but the, the community as a whole um, before re releasing yeah, something that would, else. That would be an interesting one. I don't know. Yeah. And, and yeah. Um, Chris, you know, we, we, uh, we work in and uh, talk and write about uh, an area of the the financial world or area of technology that is full of you know, many, many different actors, uh, different, you know, many startups, a lot of jargon, unfortunately. It can be very confusing for uh, all of us to follow. If you had to pick sort of two or, or three uh, key projects or uh, events on the horizon that we should all be looking out for over the next uh, year, what would they be? Well, good question. I certainly, as I mentioned earlier, the, the move towards the prime brokerage and the what is happening with their MakerDAO, the tokens just now, I think projecting that a year forward to understand the opportunities. The If you also think about the, the happening, the Bitcoin happening, which will happen in May next year, we obviously don't know the date, but sometime in May next year, the, that will also probably create uh, a run-up in prices of Bitcoin. Off the back of that, that may well open up arbitrage opportunities between the exchanges again. Towards the peak of the 2017 bubble, the Korean markets were trading about $1,000 Bitcoins higher, $1,000 per Bitcoin higher than the European and US markets. So there might well be opportunities 
around that as well to look out for. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to share your thoughts. It's been a pleasure having you. Thanks, You're Chris. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this New Money Review podcast, The Future of Money in 30 Minutes. You can support New Money Review by visiting patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N forward slash New Money Review and becoming a patron of the site. Your support will help us cover this fast growing area of finance independently and in depth. You can also support us in cryptocurrency. Our wallet addresses for Bitcoin, Ether and Litecoin are published on the homepage of our website in the right margin.